Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. This episode of Ladies Who Punt is brought to you by LWP members. To future proof the podcast you love, make sure you sign up to become a member today. Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. Hello and welcome back to Ladies Who Punt. We are the podcast that makes racing make sense. My name is Fiona Blair and with me today is my co-host Grace Ramage. Hello Grace, a massive episode we've got planned out today. Hello Fee and hello everybody listening to another episode of Ladies Who Punt. I cannot wait for this Saturday. Blue Diamond Stakes Day at Caulfield is always one of my favorite race days on the calendar um, and for the reason that there are three group ones at Caulfield and the nature of the three group ones that are on, you've got one at Wait for Age, which is the Futurity Stakes. We know that means at Wait for Age that it's the best of the best against each other, um, usually, typically. And then we've also got the Oakley Plate, which is run under handicap conditions. So you've got the good horses that have got the runs on the board and the record carrying the top weights. And then you've got those challengers who are progressing through the grades and deserve to be there um, but haven't quite got the job done yet for whatever reason Um, they're on the lightweights so that clash of those different categories of horses for the sprinters over the 1100 meters in the Oakley plate is so exciting and so such a great race to try and find the winner of and then the main race on the day the blue diamond stakes itself is for the two-year-olds and to what fee during the week on racing.com um, each and every week when it is a group one race day that we're gearing up to on the Saturday, they have a um, show called Flashbacks, which is just basically half an hour or an hour of, um, you know, all of the recent or throughout history of the edition since basically they were able to film them and archive um, the race replays. And I watched it was just on in the background, but I became entranced by watching the flashback <laughs> episode of the Blue Diamond Stakes because of how much it is a race um, that really shapes the entire Australian racing landscape. So at the time, you go into a Blue Diamond Stakes and you're like, right, well, we've got some really nice two-year-olds here and they've had you know a handful of starts, one, two, three starts. But when you actually look back, the amount of stallions that have come through a Blue Diamond, and I don't mean necessarily one, but have been there about second or third, um, you know, the amount of champions that have gone through a Blue Diamond, the amount of horses that, um, you know, might have showed how good they are in the Blue Diamond and then go on to be Group 1 winners. There's even plenty of great broodmares that ran in the Blue Diamond that have gone on mm. to produce really good progeny. So it is a it is a race. We always talk about the Golden Slipper as being the jewel in the crown of the two-year-old racing in Australia. Um, that's in Sydney in, in a couple of weeks' time. And no doubt that is a stallion-making race. If you win that and you're a colt, you don't race again. Generally, you're off to start in you can charge whatever you want as a stallion because you've won that amazing race. But the Blue Diamond in reality and the, the way that the fields um, 
shape and and then looking back in history how that's all played out, it's right there. It is right there in terms Mm -hmm. of being a race that good horses, only good horses, run well in. Yeah, it's really a who's who of racing. When you look back, when you can look retrospectively, you go, gosh, so many names. I mean, I'm not even familiar. I'm not that familiar with racing history but even when I watch those those replays I go god there's so many names that I recognize popping up here and you're right broodmares stallions um it is a race that just seems to attract the best even if they're not the best at two they'll be they'll become better at three and four whereas you know the golden slipper sometimes I think it really is that two-year-old race right like you said we we won't see this the colts again if, if they win the golden slipper um Whereas I feel like maybe the blue diamond, we can get a little bit more longevity out of the runners. A hundred percent. Yeah, really interesting point. Well, it's going to be a massive episode because we've got so many to go through. We must have, uh, we must be looking at over like 40 horses today, Grace, in terms of the fields. Mm. Uh, But before we start getting into that, have to say a big thank you to Annette Richards, who joined our members club last week and is helping us get to our goal of a hundred members. So we've officially cracked 40 members grace, which is so great. Um, and we're almost halfway to our goal, but as everyone can see, we've still got a way to go. So if you are enjoying the podcast and you want to follow us into the spring, you need to sign up to become a member because we need to hit that, that magic number of a hundred to keep going in the spring. So we would really appreciate you signing up. And another thing, Grace, that I have to chat about today is our table at the Wakeful Women of Racing Awards, which is happening on Friday, March 8th. Um, It's going to be a fantastic night of catching up with our Ladies Who Punt community, celebrating women and the awards uh, that are up for grabs that night, and and also enjoying a night race meeting at the Valley on International Women's Day, which is so cool. We have one seat left at our table. So if you would like to join myself and Grace and a group of other girls, uh, make sure you RSVP by following the link, uh, which we will leave in the show notes of this episode. And we'll be finally finalizing the table um, at the end of this week. So first in gets that last seat. Bit of um, sad news come out this week, Grace, on two fronts. Uh, Very elegant 11-time Group 1 winner, I think. I've got that right. Uh, Unfortunately, passed away from complications of having her first foal. There was a huge outpouring of grief from the racing community about this news, wasn't there? Yeah, it's so sad. It's um, absolutely tragic because she was only just at the beginning of the next phase of her life to be a broodmare. Um, And... And, you know, for it to go so pear-shaped that she was unable to be saved is just tragic. She has um, – she is a champion, no doubt. There, she is an absolute champion. She, Her win in the Melbourne Cup will be one of the most heroic things that we've Amazing. seen in that race and across racing in general f- throughout history. Um, so, you know, for her to then have lost her life um, due to the complications with falling – um, you know, she just deserved to be able to live a great, long, healthy life. Um, so, yeah, it's a feel for everybody that was connected to her because they mm. would be absolutely devastated. Um, and it's just so sad to have lost to have lost a, um, you know, an Australian champion in these circumstances. Yeah, and, you know, she was a queen. You know, there aren't many queens of the track and she was certainly one of them. Um, and for those who are a bit shocked by the news like following complications are common um and there's no doubt that a mare of 
of Very Elegant's uh, success was in the absolute best care over there in Europe. So um, mm -hmm. just one of those things that can't be controlled for all of the time, unfortunately. And then the other sad news, Grace, one of your favorites, Mr. Solcom, he's out for the autumn. Like, how are you feeling about that? I, I swear, all last spring, all you talked about was Solcom. I know, and he ran so well in the Melbourne Cup, like me talking about him for he months. Did. And he, he <laughs> almost won it and was actually a little bit unlucky. But, um, mm. you know, I think... Obviously, it's not ideal for the connections, but at least it's only a minor injury and he will be able to have a nice, good, solid break and gear up again for the Melbourne Cup in the spring. Most of these, um, you know, Melbourne Cup type horses, they don't have very heavy autumn campaigns anyway. They can go mm -hmm. towards the Sydney Cup. You might have been third up into a Sydney Cup, but it's not, you know, the Sydney Cup is nothing compared to the Melbourne Cup. It's not a, a race that... Um, has anywhere near the level of impact for winning it. So every trainer and, and owner that has a horse like Solcom, the autumn is the time to, that you can, you know, be okay with missing it. You don't want anything to go wrong during the spring because that's where the big races are. That's where the, the you know, the big prestige and big prize money is. So, you know, I don't think it's the worst thing. It's a shame we're not going to be able to see him this preparation, but certainly not the worst thing. I think he can definitely bounce back and we'll see him, um, you know, back to his best in spring. Now, Grace, we've got three races to cover today. Which one do you want to start with? Let's start with the Blue Diamond Stakes fee. Uh, cannot wait to get stuck into seeing who wins this edition. Now, we've already spoken about how we've gone back through history books and watched all the replays of, of winners in previous years and how many good horses come through it. I will actually say I have a feeling that the last couple of years the Blue Diamond Stakes may not have had that same sort of an effect. Literally, I mean, maybe the last two runnings. They haven't been the strongest fields. The format of it hasn't really stacked up. You know, those those two-year-olds became three-year-olds haven't really gone on to do, um, to do anything of note yet. But I think that this year reverts back to what we normally know with the Blue Diamond Stakes. I think that this is a very, very good field. I think the quality of the two-year-olds um, that are lining up in the Blue Diamond on Saturday are very strong and I have no doubt that they will go on to be good three-year-olds, sprinting three-year-olds and, and who knows what in the future as well. And I also love that we've got a filly that's coming down from Sydney for Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott in the form of Lady of Camelot who really spices things up as well. Well, let's take a look at the market first, Grace. We have a $4 favourite for the Blue Diamond, uh, which we know is the same $4 the field. Uh, that was from one of our earliest episodes, I think, Grace, which means that the market is not hugely confident about who, who the winner is here. And I think we expect that from our two-year-old races, don't we, Grace? Just because we aren't so familiar with these horses, they're all very lightly raced. So it's uh, a bit of a gamble on who's going to win. So our $4 favorite is Coleman. And then we have at $4.80, Lady of Camelot, who you were talking about. And third in line of betting is number three, Bodyguard for the Peter and Paul Snowden camp with Mark Zara aboard. Who would you like to chat about first, Grace? I think what you've just said is exactly right, Fee. You know, $4 the field firstly represents that it's wide open. You know, there's no one 
$2 chance, $1.80 chance that's clearly better than the rest. But what I'm taking from that is that it's not just an even mediocre field, but there's actually plenty of horses here that can win. And therefore, it's really hard to try and find the winner. And that's why there's so many different opinions out there. And therefore, you're getting a price about a number of different runners. So let's start by taking um, a look at what the the favourite in Coleman has done so far in his career. He's only had the two runs um, and he's had both of those runs spread across two preparations. So we saw Coleman at his first ever career start back in October of last year in the debutante stakes at Caulfield. Um, a great race for, you know, real sharp two-year-old types over the 1,000 metres. You get to see them um you know, struck their stuff nice and early on in the season. And he won that race quite comfortably. He was a short price favorite, heavily backed into $2.20. So what you're taking from that is that there's plenty of confidence from the stable, from the people that know about Coleman, that he's there to run really well. And that's exactly what he did. He was very dominant on that occasion. So he already had sort of like blue diamond aspirations from winning that race. He then had a break, a nice break. Um, Matt Laurie is his trainer based in Mornington. And he's come back last start over the 1,000 metres in the chairman stakes um, and he was, I think, even more dominant than what we saw from him in his first career start at his debut win. Um, he won the chairman stakes very comfortably. He sits on speed and now going into the Blue Diamond stakes three weeks between runs, I love that setup for him as well. He's had time to just, you know, refresh and, and, and come on naturally and I think he'll be cherry ripe for this Saturday. I suppose the query with Coleman is that you haven't seen him pass the 1,000 metres yet, and I'm sure that that will be um, something that people are, are deliberating. When we're looking at a blue diamond, because of the big field, the prize money, you know, the status that's attached to this race, it's generally, I would say, you know, nine times out of ten, there's plenty of speed here because you want to be close to the pace. You want to have a rail advantage. You want these, you know, relatively experienced, inexperienced two-year-olds to be able to have every chance, not run into bad luck. Um, therefore, there's naturally a lot of tempo in these races. So you want to be able to run out a strong run 1,200 metres. You can't be, you know, a real speedy speedy squibby type of a horse that you might get pooped at the end of a, um, a fast run 1100 you need to be able to stay um, a strong strongly run at 1200 meters so maybe some people think that's query for coleman i personally don't because just the size of him like he is a monster he's a big strong mm. two-year-old colt by pirata who um, coleman is in his first crop the oldest progeny of the stallion pirata are two-year-olds so um, that that is very exciting for the stallion as well um, but if you go back and look at his win in the chairman stakes when you actually watch it and even on the clock to me, his best part of the race was his last 200 metres. Over the 1,000 metres, he was not getting tired. Aniza, who is a filly who lines up again in this race, she's going to attract a lot of admirers because she was the filly who was out the back in the chairman stakes and she launched late. And everyone's going to say, right, she's screaming 1,200 metres. She's the one that's going to gobble them up. She wants further ground. No doubt she does. But I don't think that Coleman was getting tired. Coleman was also accelerating at the same time as Anisa was accelerating. And I reckon if you put another 200 metres on the chairman's stakes, I think Coleman still wins um, just the way that he was just getting through his gears that last 200 metres. So I think that um, I think that everything has gone to plan in the sense that he's always been flagged as, as a um, exceptional two-year-old and now coming to an exceptional two-year-old race, 
everything looks to be swell. And I think that he has to be the horse to beat. Yeah, I think I've, I agree with everything you're saying, Grace. I've also just noticed that he is wearing a tongue tie for the first time. And um, for those who haven't listened to our episode about gear, trainers apply tongue ties in order to help a horse's breathing generally so that their tongue isn't getting in the way of their airways. So they're able to take in maximum oxygen. So if he's running this well and they assume he's not getting maximum oxygen and then to have a tongue tie on into the blue diamond with, you know, the ability to pull in more oxygen, which is basically petrol for racehorses. Um, I find that really interesting and that should definitely help with the 1200 too. So Grace, after Coleman, who do you think are the other threats in this race? Well, we've just spoken a bit about Anisa, who, um, is definitely a danger. She's right in it. I think with Anisa, while she was, you know, a long way back over the thousand meters in the chairman stakes from barrier five now, she doesn't have to be too far away at all. They can, um, have her in the absolute perfect position. Um, from barrier five with Damien Lane in the saddle. I expect her to be, you know, forward of midfield, not too far back, just getting a really soft run and that's going to give her every possible. So she's got to be, she's got to be a, a main challenger to Coleman as she was last time. There ultimately wasn't much between them. We know that the Phillies here carry two kilos less than the boys. It's at two year old set weights, which means Colts, well, the male horses always carry two kilos more than the female horses across the entire weight scale. So that's what we see here with the two-year-olds. The Colts are going to carry 57. The Phillies will carry 55 kilos. So Anisa with the 55 kilos, she's got to have um, a big hope. So firstly, I'm going to start with Lady of Camelot and just discuss the fact that you already go into looking at her with the sheer confidence of the Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott stable <laughs> and the absolute airborne two-year-olds that they have this season. I don't actually know. Yeah. I probably should have looked at how many two-year-old individual winners they've had. I'm pretty sure it's up to near 20, if not 20, which is oh absolute gosh. madness. <laughs> Absolute madness if you consider that we're only, wow. you know, we've only been racing two-year-olds for four months and there's not a race mm. every day. Um, so they have just won pretty much everything. And, you know, when you've got a really hot season, it's because they've A, bought the right horses and B, um, you know, their grounding and their training and the way that they've all been brought through Um has been spot on. So therefore you just take confidence for the whole crop that the Gay Waterhouse and Adrian bought two-year-olds are absolutely flying. So that's definitely in the, the favour and in the corner of Lady of Camelot. She comes down from Sydney. Firstly, the reason for the reason, the reason I believe that she's down here for the Blue Diamond Stakes rather than staying up in Sydney for the Golden Slipper and following that path, which traditionally she probably would do. Um, we know Gay is an absolute master. I think she's the most winning trainer of the Golden Slipper. However, Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott train a cult by the name of Storm Boy, who won the Magic mm -hmm. Millions two-year-old classic <laughs> on the Gold Coast, looks like an absolute weapon, looks like the horse to beat in the Golden Slipper. So when you've got a big boom two-year-old colt that's got he's already been purchased by coolmore it's a lot riding on that and just the way that these big breeders operate is that they want to win the stallion making race and they don't want to have the filly beating the colt so um i think that that is in itself a bit of a push as to why lady of camelot's come down for the blue diamond because she can go well in this race and she can go well on the golden slipper but they know that storm boy is the one that's been 
um, he's going to be awfully hard to beat in the slipper. So that's why we see Lady of Camelot down in Melbourne and she's got to be a key danger. Her win last start, which was her first up run, same as Coleman. She's only had two career starts spread across two preparations. She was at the races at Rose Hill three weeks ago in the Widden Stakes, which is for two-year-old fillies at Group 3 level. She led, as we know, Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bot horses generally do, um, but she led at a fast tempo and just nothing could get near her. Again, we're seeing a horse over 1,100 metres not weakened to the line, which is, first of all, a big tick. Um, and the the way that that race rated was very, very strong. Like, it was fast overall time. She went out fast and she came home fast. She didn't get tired. She just kept motoring to the line. So that rating in itself has to have her as one of the key chances here. The only question mark for Lady of Camelot is she's never been you know, the Melbourne way of going. She's never been to Caulfield before, so that might pose some sort of a challenge. But from barrier four, I think she leads this at all costs. So whether she gets it easy, whether she has to do too much work might, you know, um, query how much she's got left in the tank for the finish. But I would not be surprised to see her actually lead and hold a, a two-length margin on the rest of this field here and not allow anything to get close to her. I think she could be, wow. you know, she could be that good. We could see that performance from her on Saturday. That would be incredible. And rather than focus on the form and uh, for the Blue Diamonds today, Grace, I've left that to you. And I've been taking a little bit of a deep dive into the stallions of each of these runners. And Lady of Camelot and Anisa are both by two-year-old sires. So Lady of Camelot is by Ritten Tycoon. He is only the third stallion in the last 25 years who has won both the Blue Diamond with Ritten by in 2018 and the Golden Slipper in Capitalist in 2016. So he joins Reduce Choice and Dane Hill, like two super sires themselves. And then Exceed and Excel is just, he must be one of the most prolific two-year-old sires we've ever seen. Um, he has an incredible 10% stakes winning two-year-old to runners ratio. So one in 10 of his two-year-olds that runs across his career as a stallion will win a stakes race, which is so high, so, so high. So, uh, you know, you put that up against like, you know, Anisa and Lady of Camelot there by these very well-established um, sires, uh, Exceed and Excel is actually the granddad of a couple of runners in the Blue Diamond on Saturday. And then you put them up against the first season sires, sires like Pierrata, who is the sire of Coleman. We have seven runners in this race by first season sires, which I think is also very exciting about um, so exciting what we have to look forward to in the years to come. So it's, it's really interesting looking at these stallions and how it relates to the race itself. So I've been really enjoying that. Okay, so we've, you've spoken about three. Is there anyone else we need to keep an eye on in this race? Well, let's now take a look at the two races, um, which are the the main lead-ups to the Blue Diamond. They're both the Blue Diamond Preludes run two weeks ago. And on that day, which was CFO Stakes Day, you've got the Phillies edition, which was won by Hayasugi, and the Colts edition, which was won by Bodyguard. So they were able to split up um, – in on that day two weeks ago as per their gender but now they're all racing against each other and we've already mentioned that the Phillies get the two kilos off against the Colts here on Saturday so bodyguard won the two-year-old Colts edition the Blue Diamond Prelude and that was his first up run for the preparation the Snowdens 
um, Peter and Paul Snowden have got an amazing history with this race. I mentioned before that Gay Waterhouse has got a amazing association with the Golden Slipper. I think the, the Snowdens, I mean, they've, they're very, they're very good trainers all round, but they always target good two-year-olds to the Blue Diamond Stakes and they're always around the mark. They've won a handful. They've been second and third on many different occasions. They know the right horse to bring for the gold, for the Blue Diamond Stakes. So when we take a look at what Bodyguard did, High Octane also came through that run as well and it's worthwhile mentioning him because if you go back and have a look at the replay, he had absolutely no luck and that was High Octane's second run. In fact, he was on debut the start prior in the preview which was over the 1,000 metres, um, and that was a dominant win by high octane as well. But Bodyguard, he's just come down. He is an absolutely glowing animal, I think. I should have checked this fee, but I think he was a $1.1 million yearling or an $800,000 yearling or something. Oh, regardless, sale mail. I'll pull bought. it up right now. Yes, thank you. Help me out on the sale mail front. You look at him and you're like, well, that's a nice horse. But then you're like, oh, that's why he cost $1 zillion at the yearling sales because this is what they bought him for. They bought him spending one point six million. 1.6? Oh, I sold him short. 1.6. Yeah, and he's the highest one as you would expect at that price. <laughs> It'd be hard to get higher. Oh, my God. So, yes. So, yes, okay, well, they've bought this horse to win the Blue Diamond. This is, mm -hmm. there's a lot riding on this horse. You know, there is a lot riding on the result for Bodyguard this Saturday. Um, but, you know, the, the stable mate in high octane in those colours that we've spoken about at length, um, the Newgate and China Horse Club, they are such prolific colours in two-year-old races because they create stallions and they, similar to James Harron in those bodyguard colours, they they go out to buy these big expensive colts to turn them into stallions. So a lot riding on uh, the result on Saturday for both the Snowden runners that we're speaking about here. In terms of um, who are the other ones to look at from that colts edition that now line up in the Blue Diamond on Saturday, I think stay focused um, he didn't do much wrong on, he didn't do much wrong last start. He was only half a length off bodyguard, but what is against him this Saturday is a wide barrier in barrier 15. Um, he likes to race on speed. I can imagine that they're going to come across. It is just a shoot start, I should say, at Caulfield from the 1200 meter start. If you're not familiar with it, it's essentially a straight line until you left-hand turn. So it's like a dog leg. Um, and there's only, there's only one bend, so you can sit deep. But in a high-pressure blue diamond stakes, you sort of want to be smothered up with having a really soft run, relaxing, um, not you know facing the breeze and potentially getting keen because you can't have anything go wrong on a blue diamond. So I think barrier 15 is against stay focused on Saturday. But, um, you know, bodyguard, he was so impressive there. And then high octane was had no luck, absolutely no luck at all. So who knows what he would have done if he had clear galloping room. So they're the two out of the Colts edition of the Prelude that I think we have to watch. The Phillies edition on the same day, same distance, was won by Hayasugi, who was one of those Phillies or is a Philly who is by a first season sire in Royal Meeting. Um, and that is a little bit of an obscure 
um, sire, I suppose. But, you know, that's the beauty of, of these first crops. We get to see what the stallion can do and, um, you know, to have Pirata and, and Exceedance and Microphone and, and Royal Meeting represented in a Blue Diamond is, is so exciting in itself. Yes. So, Grace, he was a Group 1 winner at two over in France, over 1,400 metres, and he now stands at Leneva Park. Um, so, yeah, a bit of European form coming through here with Royal Meeting and it's, it's tricky when you see these stallions pop up and you haven't heard of them before because you can sort of dismiss them just because they're not part of the, the racing chat here in Australia. But he's obviously a very talented horse to win a Group 1 at 2. So um, definitely got the breeding on side. Hey, Asugi. And again, you've just referenced that it's one of those horses that's bred to be very competitive in this race, two-year-old breeding, speed breeding. So you can understand why she's been really successful to this point. She's had four starts. She's one of the most experienced in the field, and all of those have happened you know, relatively recently. Uh, she's won the last two races. So I'm not doubting her chances, but in the Phillies edition, there's a horse that I think is over the odds that I think is going to be primed um, to be going very close this Saturday, and it's Matisse Ooh. who ran third to Hayasugi in that race. She was quite a way back, Matisse, um, and now drawn barrier one, I think she can be a lot closer. So automatically she's going to be put into the race. She's not going to have to make up as much ground. She'll get a very soft run back to the inside um, if the gap's open, which I think they will because I think that um, – you know, their two-year-olds, they'll be a little bit wayward. There should be gaps that are opening up that she can cut the corner, save some ground and be right there in the finish. Trained by Anthony and Sam Friedman, this filly by microphone. She um, or her trainers, Anthony and Sam Friedman, have won three of the recent editions of this race. They won with Lyre, they've won with Artorias and they've won with Dormier all in the last five or so years so i think that um you know automatically i'm thinking right they know the exact type of horse that gets them to be running very well in a blue diamond stakes they know how to train them they know how to get them there peaking on group on grand final day as we know anthony friedman has done for many many years so matisse i definitely think she's an each way play she's over the odds for me um, and just the final thing that I want to say about the two prelude editions, the Colts and Geldings and the Phillies, if you go to the racing.com website and watch the replays back, which I would highly suggest you do just so that you can familiarize yourself with lots of runners who are going around again in the grand final, the Blue Diamond on Saturday, but you can go to the sectionals, you go to the sectionals tab and have a look at the race time and how they rate it against each other because they're on the same day over the same distance. So it's a perfect, perfect comparison between the two. Um, and to be honest, there was absolutely nothing between them. They were basically wow. bang on, bang on the same time. So, you know, if you're thinking, oh, bodyguard's just better than the Phillies, mm, well, time mm -hmm. suggests that they're pretty much equal. But I would say mm. that bodyguard was only first up there and will improve a lot. And being a $1.6 million cult, yeah, they'll be, uh, they'll be throwing everything at him to get a result in the Blue Diamond Stakes. Yeah, well, there's actually, after looking, Grace, there's quite a few million-dollar horses lining up. Of course, Bodyguard at 1.6, as you said, in the James Heron, the, that green uh, silk. So our listeners will be familiar. We've spoken about that. Like, they are purchasing stallions. Um, so when you see those green silks, you can pretty much guarantee they've paid a nice price for that horse. But, yes, we also have... High Octane was just a touch over a million dollars, so another big spend for China Horse Club, Newgate, 
trilogy go bloodstock. And then Anisa was also a million, $1.1 million yearling by Exceed and Excel. Uh, and then number 18, who's an emergency at the moment, Ultimatum was a $1.15 million purchase. So some really expensive horses going around just for fun. Let's take a look at the cheapest horse that you could have bought for the Blue Diamond. Heya Sugi, $47,500 from the Australian Weanling sale. There are, of course, a couple of homebreds in here, so we don't have prices for all of them, but that is the cheapest horse in the Blue Diamond this year. Um, <clears throat> it's been really interesting looking into the stallions behind this grace. As I've said already, we have seven horses that are by first season sires uh, in the race, which is very exciting. And the one thing all of these stallions have in common is that the furthest distance any of them has won is 1,400 metres. A couple had a crack at the 16. Zusta, who is the sire of Zestiman, uh, he is the closest to getting to the 1,600. He came second in the JJ Atkins. So pretty close, um, not quite there. But I think what we can see when we look at this type of thing is that to be a Blue Diamond two-year-old, you really need that sprinting blood in there from the start you know i think as horses get older maybe the stallions don't quite mean as much as they stretch out over distance and things like that but to be an early fast two-year-old you need to be by a speed sire well i think that was a pretty comprehensive little preview there grace you did a great job um should we move on to the oakley plate next yep let's move on to the oakley plate this is uh, race number nine on the card over the 1100 meters. So again, we're talking about the Caulfield shoot start, same shoot. Um, the 1200 meters is obviously the furthest start down the shoot. So 1100 meters, we're just moving those barriers up the shoot 100 meters. Again, it's only one dog leg turn. Uh, the Oakley plate is a group one handicap. So it doesn't matter what age you are, doesn't matter um, what gender you are. It's well, it's all to do with your handicap rating. That is going to um, be directly correlated to the weight that you are allocated in the Oakley plate. So it's always a great race because you've got um, the weight scale to uh, really try and work out, you know, is this horse um, too good to overcome a big weight or is this horse, you know, in with a chance now because they've got such a light weight. They are the questions that you've got to, you know, toss up when it comes to the Oakley plate. And this year I think um, is a pretty good addition. Lots of horses coming from everywhere, first uppers, horses coming down from Sydney, got a three-year-old colt in there. So, yeah, it's a really good addition of the Oakley plate. And looking at the market, Grace, it is the three-year-old colt who is our $4.50 favourite. So people have also not got a lot of confidence in who's the winner of this race either. So that's King's Gambit, number one. He's a horse that we became pretty familiar with during last spring and last autumn on the podcast. Then we have Asphora, who ran second to Kalos last start in the Rubiton Stakes at $5.50. Uh, and then we have Benedetta, who is resuming at $7.50 with her usual rider, Daniel Stackhouse, aboard. Who would you like to chat about first, Grace? Well, you mentioned the fact that it is another open race. Um, if you go back and have a look at some of the runnings and the additions, you know, the, the fields and the results of the Oakley Plate over the years, you know, you can often get an Oakley Plate where it's $7 the field. Right. Like that is how open it is. Um, it's always a race where it's just a real lottery mm. because of the different variables that you've got to try and weigh up because it sort of doesn't attract 
usually it doesn't it doesn't attract the proper group one sprinters um, like the new market handicap does in two weeks time like for example we don't see imperatories in this race because she ran at wait for age last saturday she might go to a new market or she might go straight up to sydney new market probably attracts at a handicap conditions better quality of horse in terms of group one winners and performers but the oakley plate that's what makes it such a great race is because you've got those that are right thereabouts and then you've got the challengers that are trying to cement themselves as a group one performer it's such a tricky race i feel like this market as it stands at the moment I feel like King's Gambit is too short and I feel like mm. he'll drift. I can't really nominate one horse that they're going to smash in the betting. So we might end up at $5.50 the field, you know, when it comes jump time. I think at the moment, King's Gambit is too short in the betting and, you know, there'll be money for a whole heap of different horses on race day. The reason that I think King's Gambit is under the odds at the moment, I can obviously he's got a chance. This is a three-year-old colt that is first up. Um, so we haven't seen him again this preparation. And the last preparation that we saw him was last spring where he was going through the three-year-old races on a pathway towards the Group 1 Coolmore Stud Stakes, which is on Derby Day, and we previewed that episode and we talked about King's Gambit at length there thinking that he was going to win the race. Unfortunately, King's Gambit, I can't exactly remember what it was. I think it might have been a... Um, I think what might have been an element of lameness with a, a stone bruise or something that had him ruled out from the Coolmore Stud Stakes. He could not take his place. He was scratched. Really awful result for connections when they had this horse that was primed and I thought would have won the race. Oh, Grace, so is this the seagull horse? Yes, this is a seagull horse. <laughs> this is the seagull horse. Of course, it's and just come back to me. listening to this saying, What's what the, the heck is a seagull horse? <laughs> Well, the seagull horses, we went through it because um, King's Gambit, he's still a colt, and he, in his first couple of preparations, had a couple of mental issues, and he really just needed everything to be perfect. He didn't like anything, um, you know, to upset him, and unfortunately, in one of the races down the Flemington Strait, a seagull really upset he him. Encountered he encountered one. He did not like the look of the seagull. He encountered a seagull on the track, and he just completely lost the plot and started over-racing like a, a, a a psychopath and he <laughs> faded from there so that was an excuse for him so this is but this is a great point fee what i want to say about king's gambit is he's got plenty of ability there's no doubt but i just think he's priced off hype at the moment mm. if he had come out and won the coolmore stud stakes like i thought he would have sure he deserves to be considered a great chance in the oakley plate but he didn't run in it mm. we don't know he's yet. not proven like, we just don't know yeah. He's not proven yet. And, you know, he has got some quirks, mm. seagull horse. So, you know, he might come into the mounting yard and just absolutely Melt. lose the plot yeah. again. We just don't know. Mm. That's my thing about King's Gambit. Um, so I think barrier one is good for him. They're going to really rock and roll in this race. They always do in an Oakley plate. Plenty of speed horses like Najem Suhail only knows one way and that's to go out and go hard. So automatically it's going to be a fast tempo. Barrier one, he can sit off that, relax, perfect. But even still, um, even still, is that good enough to win an Oakley plate? Is he good enough to win an Oakley plate? I just don't know yet. I need to see it before diving into him at $4.50. And I reckon that's why people will try and find horses to beat him. Therefore, he'll drift and others will firm in the betting. Um, one thing about being a three-year-old colt that hasn't actually won a, a group one yet and he's only um, 
who's only won a group two as a three-year-old, is that he gets right down yeah. in on the minimum weight with 50 kilograms, mm -hmm. and that is certainly going to help him. So I think King's Gambit's definitely got a winning chance, but I just need to see him. I need to see him before I can be with him at that at this stage, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I can see, like, looking at his recent form, like, why he is, you know, up there with the favourites. Like, he's been running in stakes races basically his whole career. So he's, like, a genuine stakes candidate, and I think that combined with this low weight is is why maybe he opened his favourite because we know as handicaps you're looking for the horse with, you know, the the best class with the lowest weight basically or, you know, a horse that hasn't proven himself yet and I guess that's King's Gambit. Grace, can you explain to us why he has such a low weight? Because he has a rating of 95 and then the next horse up uh, is Ray Maginario. I hope I've said that right. He has a rating of 88 and is carrying two kilos heavier. Why is this horse with a rating of 95 on the minimum when there's horses with lower ratings carrying more weight? Good question. Under the handicap conditions, your age and your sex still do come into play. So being a three-year-old colt, he gets weight relief. If you go and take a look at the actual wording with the um, the penalties and, and the way that the scale works, if you are a three-year-old colt, you will get weight relief. Um, if you are a filly, you will get some weight relief. For example, you will see at the top of the book there, Kalos, number one, he's carrying the top weight of 58 kilograms, and he is a 108 rater. However, Asfura, who is the highest rated horse in the race, is a 111 rater. She's actually carrying less weight than Kalos. The reason for that is that she is a mare, therefore she gets two kilos off the boys at all times. So while she she should be carrying the top weight because she's the highest rater in the race. She's a man, so her weight gets brought back two kilos. Similar for the three-year-old Colts, and it actually depends with three-year-olds whereabouts in the calendar you are. If you're a mm, spring okay. three-year-old, you even get less weight. If you're an autumn three-year-old, you get less you, you still get less weight, but a little bit more than a spring three-year-old. So um that so that you still need to take into consideration a horse's age when it comes to the weight scales under handicap conditions and also their gender. Thank you for explaining that to us. Now, I wanted to chat to you next about Kalos and Asfora. Obviously, they came up against each other last start in the Rubiton Stakes. Everyone was pretty keen on Asfora, but Kalos sort of surprised a few people. I think he was paying like $16.50 at the jump. Do you think these two have a good shot on Saturday, Grace, or who do you think will come out on top out of these two? Yeah, Kalos definitely was a bit of a surprise winner beating Asfura was very much in the corner of Asfura. So um, I was a little bit confused why she got beaten, a little bit alarming. But <laughs> to be honest, um, Kalos is an absolute dynamite first up and second up horse. Mm. He always runs very well fresh. Um, and, you know, he's a, he is a proper group two, borderline group one sprinter. So he's a good horse in his own right. But I think Asfura, like she's still got to be one of the starting points here. Even though she was beaten by Kalos last start, she will improve from that run. Even though she's a sprinter, you know, she'll be better again now at the races, having those cobwebs blown out last start in the Rubiton Stakes. And if you take a look at what she's done, like she's so deserving of being a Group 1 winner. Last preparation, she was second to Imperatriz in the Group 1 Moya Stakes over the 1,000 metres. She won two races, did it quite dominantly. She then went up the Flemington Straight in the champion sprint which is wait for age cream of the crop sprinters on the final day of the melbourne cup carnival she got she got lost there or didn't pan out for her but still she's up against the best horses she's clearly the best performed 
horse in this race. She's been there, done that against the best. I think that holds her in really good stead. So I think she's definitely, um, I hope she wins. I think she's got a great winning chance here. Barrier 11 is a little bit tricky mm. for Mitch Aitken, who is her regular rider. She likes to race up on speed, but there's so much speed here. I can imagine her being posted three deep, four deep, sort of just behind the speed, um, or she might have to work too hard to get across. But um, she's definitely got the, enough ability to win this race. I'll tell you the one that I think is a bet and has been backed already, but he's just absolutely airborne. And it's a horse that I'm still not certain how to pronounce his name, to be honest. Number four, Sharipa. I think that's what we're going with, Sharipa. Trained okay, over in South Australia by Shane and Cassie Oxlade. He's now coming into this race fresh because he's been six weeks between runs, but he's won his last two races in listed and group three class, working his way through the grades. He started off back in Morfittville, this preparation, a benchmark 70, then won a benchmark 72, then came third in a listed race, then won a listed race, then won a group three, the Standish Handicap at 1,200 metres at Flemington. Um you know, I love that the way that he's just been working through the grades nicely. He's the perfect candidate to now go to a Group 1 Oakley plate with a, a really nice weight of 55 kilos, like a winning weight. Um, and he just fits a lot of a lot of the category of an Oakley plate winner, the way that he's sort of come up through the grades and now gets into this race with a nice weight. And his times are phenomenal. Like he is not only putting these, um, you know, group th group three horses away, but he's doing it really, really fast time as well. And he ticks the box of a strong run 1,100 metres, which is what we need. And barrier 13, again, slightly tricky, might be able to get on the back of Asfura, have her cut him in. I think he's got a really good chance at um, an each-way price of around the $10 at the moment. Yeah, so he's he's not just been sitting on the sidelines, Grace. He's been keeping fit and, and well uh, with jump outs and trials in between. So, yeah, I don't mind that from you. I think he is fitting the bill of a horse that's definitely on the up. Um, and obviously because of that, he, he gets in a little bit lower in the weights than those those big runners. One that I sort of – that sort of caught my eye, Grace, was number seven, recommendation. Um mm. So he came third last start in the Australian Stakes, about a month between runs now. And on that day, he was beaten by V8 and Southport Tycoon. Um, V8's obviously gone on to do pretty good things in the CF4 last start, running very, you know, cannot, cannot criticise uh, how he went in the CF4 Stakes, taking that massive step up to wait for age grade. So the leader of that race, the Australian Stakes, was Snapper, who went absolutely just ballistic early like he could barely finish the race himself snapper but recommendation was just behind him and stuck on really well um and then was just sort of beaten in the last 50 100 meters um i know maybe grace perhaps i'm thinking you're going to tell me that was maybe a gut buster race so maybe we don't like recommendation but i think he's had that month off which is really encouraging and what i really like is he's down five kilos from that start at the valley so he was 58 and a half kilos that day and today he is on saturday he is 53 and a half kilos so he was one that i was like i just was impressed how well he stuck on on that hot tempo and he's paying a bit of a price 16 dollars at the moment 
Am I crazy, Grace? Let me know. No, you're definitely not crazy. I cannot uh, <laughs> argue with anything you've just said because it wasn't a gut buster really. He's actually a very consistent okay. horse that is always sort of going out doing that. He likes to settle on speed anyway um, and he's proven many times in the past that he can sit on that sort of a tempo and still sustain it to the line, unlike Snapper, who you mentioned in that race, got tired and weakened out of it. So, um, yeah, I think – Everything you said about recommendation is great. I also love Barrier 4, unlike Sharipa, mm. who is a similar sort of a horse because they've both sort of come mm. up through the grades, now arrive in an Oakley plate on the arm. Um, Sharipa's drawn Barrier 13, which is not – I don't love. I do love recommendation drawn Barrier 4 because he can be just mm. behind the speed. He might even be on speed, to be honest. Um, they might actually try and, and, you know, lead or sit outside the leader here. And um, I think he'll be – with 53 and a half kilos, he'll be there in the finish. I'm not sure if he's got enough ability to hold off the likes of Asphora mm, and true. a horse that we haven't talked, spoken about yet um, in Benedetta, like in terms of just his class, but he was definitely fit enough and he's definitely got that racing style, which will see him be there for a long way. Okay, well, let's move on to Benedetta now. And there's quite a few people who are excited to see this mare returning how do you think um, she'll line up on Saturday, Grace? Well, I don't know. She's only lightly raced. That's the thing. She's only had 10 starts. She's won six of them and has run third another three times. So she's only ever been outside of the top three on one occasion. She's a four-year-old mare now, um, and I think she's very progressive still. I think this is the perfect kickoff for her um, for an autumn campaign, and if she's you know right there in the finish here, she can go on to bigger and better things going forward again, um, having you know a Group 1 win or a placing um, on her resume. This is her first time in Group 1 level, so it's definitely a step up. But looking back at what she's done in her two racing preparations to date, she's just super progressive. She just oozes um, class and excitement machine, and I can't wait to see what she does this Saturday. Daniel Stackhouse is her regular rider. Um, she's been weighted 53 kilos here. This is when you feel most sorry for jockeys in terms of the management of their weight because um, – <laughs> Dan Stackhouse to get down to 53 kilos is a really tough ask. You know, he's he's not, as a lot of jockeys are, um, especially those, you know, um, you know, older, more experienced jockeys, they find it hard to be able to waste to get down to a weight like 53 kilos. They're happy to get down mm. to 55, 56, that's okay. But to get down to 53 is pretty much, um, you know, you have, to, you have to stop eating for a couple of days and, and limit your water intake as well so it's it's you feel for him and you really hope that you know it's it's worth it and that she runs out of her skin i'm sure she will so um dan stackhouse has been wasting for the 53 kilos but that weight gives her a great winning chance in this race and you know if she brings like what she has in the past first up albeit in lesser class but those ratings you know she's just she just does everything with ease she does it from the front she does it from the back she She's just a very high-class mare, and I'm excited to see how she goes on Saturday. Okay, so who are you going to be with? Are you going to be having a little a little bit in this race, Grace? Yes, I think I will be, Fee. I would be – it would be <laughs> rude not to. Um, I'm going to be siding with Benedetta at the $7.50 now, actually. She's firm since I since I had last look at, looked at it because I think that's a really – 
it's a really backable price, you know, like she's not a short mm. price favorite or anything, but to me, I think she's got a great winning chance. So I'm going to be with Benedetta. Um, and the one that I like at a price who's also firmed up from the $14 into the $9.50 now is Sharipa. So I'm going with two sort of each way chances here, number four, Sharipa, and also number eight, Benedetta. What are you thinking of doing here? I'm thinking I'm going to stay with Kalos, who is has firmed from 14 mm-hmm. to 12. I think he was really good. Uh, last start in the Rubiton obviously surprised a lot of people. He also meets Asfora better in the weights this start than he did last start. So he's got a kilo on her because he's come down a kilo and she's gone – no, he's come down half a kilo and she's gone up half a kilo. So she's, he's got a kilo on her, which I thought was quite encouraging. He also has quite a good second up record. So um, mm-hmm. at $12, I thought, well, he's in form. Um, second up, four wins, four starts for two wins. Um yeah, I just thought it was too good a price to turn down considering how he went last start. So I'll be having an each way on him and probably just a place bet on number seven recommendation who we've already spoken about. Okay, Grace, we have one last race to cover. It is the Futurity Stakes. Uh, I feel like we're going to be able to get through this one very quickly. There's only eight horses in the field and there is, would we call a $1.50 a short-priced favourite in Mr. Brightside, Grace? He's a very short-priced favourite at $1.50 is Mr. Brightside, but he definitely does deserves to be considered a short price favorite in the Futurity Stakes this Saturday. Yeah, and then we have number seven, Attrition, at $8.50, the winner of the Turak Handicap last spring. And then in the third line of betting, we have Nugget, number five, at $10. So we go from $1.50 all the way up to $8.50. It's a bit of a jump, Grace, but I guess we can expect that with a short price favorite and a smaller field. Mr. Brightside's clearly the horse to beat. Who do you think will be rounding out second and third? Oh, Mr. B, I'm so excited to see how he goes on Saturday. Um, Obviously, Pride of Jenny, who was fantastic in defeat last start against Mr. B in the CFO stakes. She's not here. And the reason for that is Mm. she's running next Saturday in Sydney at 1,600 metres in the very elegant stakes. Um, at group one there. So they've elected to take her up to Sydney to avoid clashing with Mr. B. She'll come back down after that and she will come to the All-Star Mile two weeks later. But, yeah, they're, they're on separate paths for this next run. So, therefore, Mr. B, um, he's a short price favourite. Buffalo River, well, he was right there as well, only beaten, um, you know, just just under half a length there after sitting just behind Pride of Jenny. So uh, at $61 he was that day, he ran out of his Mm. skin. And to be fair, he's been in great order this whole preparation. Um, You know, he deserved his chance, and I think it cemented how good order Buffalo River is in as now as an eight-year-old, which is amazing. And Celine Gaudry Mm. um, knows how to ride in perfectly. So from Barry 7, I expect Buffalo – to probably come across and and lead up this field and go along at a nice even tempo. But, you know, Mr. B was only first up then and he was a long way back. And if you have a look at the race, like he's the one who made up the most ground. The two that were second and third were on speed and he's just nailed them on the line. So Mr. B, I think, you know, all being well, probably beats him again. And um, Attrition is a really interesting horse because you're right, he won the Turak Handicap at the end of last preparation over 1,600 metres. So he's got the Group 1 win next to his name now and he's still an entire, this four-year-old, by Churchill. So, you know, if they can get a wait-for-age win with him, like in the Futurity Stakes or, or you know, whatever it is going forward, then he's got um, 
a great prospect as being a stallion as well in the future. So there's a lot at stake for attrition. But if you go back and have a look at attrition's first up run last spring, he was beaten just over two lengths by Mr. Brightside mm. again when Mr. Brightside was first up as well. So now that Mr. B's already got a run under his belt and attrition's first up here, I think that it's safe to say that, um, you know, connections would be assuming Mr. Brightside would have him covered again. This is just a step building in the right direction of maybe an all-star mile second up, maybe even getting out to an Australian Cup or maybe a Doncaster up in Sydney could be on the cards for attrition. You got a horse in here, which was a little bit random, um, down the bottom there. Hey, Fat Cat. Yes. Has he drawn your attention, <laughs> Fee? He has because, Grace, he's three weeks for three runs. He is a busy boy. Yep. He is not getting much time yes. off. And as a three-year-old as well, like, you know, that's um that's a hefty schedule for a three-year-old to to carry. But obviously his trainer, Robbie Lang, is, is confident that he's going to handle uh, – three weeks of racing in a row. So he lines up again, but yeah, a little bit perplexed to see him here. What about you? Well, I remember one trainer, I can't remember who it was, said to me after I inquired as to why the horse backs up so much. He said, well, they're race horses. They're not stand-in box horses. I was like, yeah, okay, that's <laughs> Well, they're fair. not spell horses as we like to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they're, they're race horses. They're here to race. And obviously they are doing really well, thriving in their racing, um, hectic racing schedules, and they're, they're having chill time. Like I, I hardly think that they would be worked in between runs. They would yeah, just, hardly. you know, live their best life live their best lives for six days and then go to the races. That's what Hey Fat Cat's been doing. Um, but, yes, surprising to see him in this field given that he is such a, a low rating horse. He's only a three-year-old. He's beaten last Saturday by Riff Rocket in the CSKs. Um, I think they've just thrown him in here because the nominations and acceptances were so light. Like the prize money is great for uh, a horse that finishes in eighth position anyway, so why not have a throw mm. at the stumps? But Hey Fat Cat may impact the way that this race is run, which is why I think he's relevant hmm. to talk about. From barrier three, I reckon they're going to go handlebars down and say, catch me if you can, which, um, you know, they're entitled to. It's a race. They're allowed to to go and do the tactics <laughs> that they they want. It'll suit Buffalo River to a T if they do that because Buffalo Absolutely. River loves just sitting off a hot speed. He will relax and appreciate that. But Mr. B now with the run under his belt, in a relatively small field, he won't be too far off them. And I think that, um, you know, he deserves to be the short price favourite in this field. And, yeah, excited to see what he does on Saturday. Yeah, I've been looking at the market and I've just been absolutely stumped how attrition can be paying $8.50 and Buffalo River can be paying 12 And especially when you look at their starting prices, attrition started at 10 Buffalo River at 21 and I know Attrition's a Group 1 winner, but when he won that Turek Handicap Grace, it was under handicap conditions, and he was carrying 54 kilos. Underweight for age, he's carrying 59 kilos, the same weight as a horse like Mr. Brightside. I'm just gobsmacked that Buffalo River, who's been going so well, and like shout out to his owners. I'm sure I'm not, I'm, I'm not confident any of them are listening, but they must be so proud of how he's going. Like he's matching motors with some very, very nice horses. Um, but yeah, shocked to see him at $12. So, um, again, the price isn't good enough to actually have a place bet on him as a, a $2.35, but yeah, that really surprised me and missed some Mr. Brightside stuff too, Grace. I know we've sort of skimmed over him because we're, we're quite confident in, in him going into Saturday, but 
I've seen the application of Winkers again, Grace. I was expecting this application maybe in a couple races time for Mr. Brightside. Um, why, why are they going on on Saturday and, and what are they, what's the point of putting them on Mr. B? So you, if you go back and watch the replay of the CF4 stakes, um, with Mr. B and we, we did, we watched it on our, and we, we <laughs> reacted to it in the podcast last week. Um, you'll see that he really drops the bit at the 600 meter mark. He's chasing from a long way out. Um, and that's not a, that's not a typical Mr. B thing. It's just a, on a, on a fast lead speed, first up, second up, um, you know, he's a bit like, holy dooly, we're really, you know, motoring along early on here. So the application of Winkers is, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's sort of a little bit puffed, but he's just such a good boy that he, he gets the job done anyway. Um, with Winkers going on, the idea is that it'll just help him focus and stay on the bridle and not relax too much. Through the run, um, you know, if you go back and look at how he won in the Maccabi Diva Stakes last spring when he beat Alligator Blood and he went past him like he was nailed to the floor. Like that, you don't need winkers for a race shape like that where it's just a sit and sprint because they're all just, they're all just you know, sitting, dawdling, going la, 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 this is fun, and then they're dashing home um, and they're in a clumped field. But the winkers going on this Saturday for Mr. Brightside is with the um, – you know, belief that Buffalo River and maybe Hay Fat Cat are going to go do their thing out in front again. And we want Mr. B to not be just dawdling along in the back. We want him to be sharp and focused and on the bridle and ready to let rip when Craig says, now's the time, boy. So, you know, ideally you'd see Mr. B not sort of start being hurled along from the 600 or the 700. You see him like right on the bridle, Mr. Craig Williams just sitting on him, um, you know, just not moving a muscle and Mr. B just trucking his way through because he's already focused. He already knows that it's it's time to go. It's race day. So, yeah, winkers are a less aggressive tool than blinkers in saying, hey, boy, it's time to focus. We're not worrying about what's happening around us. We mean business. Once the barrier is open and we're racing, we are racing. Yeah, I'm hoping it'll help him with his jump too because that was a little bit casual last start as well. He sort of Very just casual boy last gates. start. He was like, guys, are we really doing this again? Like, it's first off. Okay, fine. I'll get into my work now. But I was really hoping you just sit out the back here and then just, you know, waltz on right. home. Fine, I'll, I'll get going. That was Mr. B. <laughs> Yeah, and I also had a, a little peek at his stats, and he is four from four track and distance for this race, so cannot get better stats than that, can you, Grace? Yeah, he loves the 1,400 metres at Caulfield. Um, you know, he's got great stats everywhere, but in particular, this is his absolute bread and butter. Um, he just mm. loves the, the the way that the, the track is laid out. It suits him really well, and, um, yeah, he, he'll be awfully hard to beat on Saturday. Well, I think we've done a spectacular job. I think we've actually got through those fields in pretty quick time, Grace, uh, considering the amount we had to talk about. Um, going to be an excellent day of racing on Saturday, isn't it? Oh, I can't wait. It's always such a great day, such great atmosphere, um, you know, so much at stake for these horses. It's honestly one of my favourite race days of the whole calendar. Like there are so many spring race days. This is just as good as those big spring race days. So I would encourage anyone that's, um, you know, not quite sure what they're going to do on Saturday yet. And if you're in Melbourne, head down to Caulfield to take in a great Blue Diamond Stakes Day. If you're in Sydney, just keep on searching for those Taylor Swift tickets. Um, if you don't have them yet, just do whatever you can to try and get them because it will change your life. Yeah, it was amazing. It was incredible last week. 
Um, okay, well, we will leave you all there. I think we've been um, chatting to you long enough now. Uh, and I hope you enjoy this weekend's racing and we will catch you again next week on the podcast. Hello, if you've made it this far in the podcast, you are obviously a very serious listener and we are very appreciative of your efforts. As a serious consumer of our content, we would strongly encourage you to sign up to Ladies Who Punt members for just $15 a month. We have a goal this year to reach 100 members by the 2024 Spring Carnival. And by achieving this goal, we can future-proof Ladies Who Punt into the second half of 2024 and hopefully into 2025. So if you enjoy our content, whether it's the podcast, the newsletter, or the Ladies Who Punt social club, please consider signing up to become a member for just $15 a month. There's heaps of benefits to signing up. First of all, you get extra content and tips in our Ladies Who Punt members newsletter. You will get sent a free piece of merch. You'll also get to play in our very popular weekly tipping comp with a cash prize of $50. And you'll be granted access to our brand new members WhatsApp group called Tips Out for the Girls. So again, if you are a regular consumer of the Ladies Who Punt content, please make sure you sign up to our members group so that we can future-proof Ladies Who Punt in 2024 and beyond. To sign up, head to our show notes or head to www.ladieswhopunt.com forward slash members. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.